This is one of kind of the big uh, black holes of history is what's going on on the Confederate side, uh, especially with Longstreet's guys on the morning of July 2nd. I guess the standard interpretation is that Longstreet didn't want to fight on July 2nd, that he did want to move to the the Confederate right, which you know would be the, the federal left. I think that's certainly true the following day, and most of the contemporary record would support that. The movie, you know, if any fans of the movie out there, that's kind of the, one of the bases of the of the plot is Longstreet doesn't want to fight. He knows better. Uh, and, and he does take that role on after the war as he comes under more and more and more criticism. Uh, so he plays into that. You, you can easily go find Longstreet saying exactly what they said he said. The difference is he says that at, well after the fact. There's no evidence that he's thinking that at the time. Welcome to Heroes Behind Headlines. I'm your host, Ralph Pizzullo. Our guest today is author Alan R. Thompson to talk about his important new book, In the Shadow of the Roundtop, which is a critical examination of controversial events that took place during one of the most important battles in U.S. history and the one that determined the outcome of the Civil War, the Battle of Gettysburg fought from July 1st to 3rd, 1963. For decades since, many historians and scholars have laid the blame for the Confederate defeat on the shoulders of Lieutenant General James Longstreet, and specifically his countermarch of July 2nd. Deconstructing soldier accounts, myths, and misconceptions, Alan R. Thompson has taken a fresh look at Confederate decision-making that fateful day, and the narrative that has been formed to explain the Confederate defeat. To help us better understand what happened at Gettysburg, the dynamic between Confederate generals, including Longstreet and Robert E. Lee, and to remind us that memory is anything but objective, we welcome author Alan R. Thompson. He's today's Hero Behind the Headlines. Heroes Behind Headlines with Ralph Pizzullo. Can you tell us a little bit about your background and kind of what led you to look into this subject the way you did? Because you obviously spent a lot of time doing research once you kind of latched onto it. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, real quick, uh, personal background, I'm an attorney in New Jersey, you know, um, and a solo practitioner. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, so that I think the, the the law training certainly helped a little bit with a uh, with, with research process, finding uh, different sources, different places, uh, really trying to cite everything uh, like I would in a, like a legal brief in, yeah. in, in legal briefing. It's a little different than some, uh, some other subjects. Uh, um, every fact that you cite in a legal brief, you have to, uh, you have to provide a citation directly to somewhere in the record or an exhibit or something like that. Um, so that, that certainly helped. Um, and, and so, uh, so, so that was, that's kind of the, the personal background, the, the, the subject background. I actually, I've always been a history buff. Mm-hmm. And I think that kind of goes without saying, but, uh, <laughs> and, and so I really wanted to write 
I always wanted to write something. So uh, I started doing some research on uh, July 2nd, uh, second day of the Battle of Gettysburg. Uh, it's really, in my opinion, the, the turning point Pickett's Charge gets a lot of the uh, the attention. Yeah. Uh, but th- that's to me, that's really where the turning point was. There's a lot of really specific uh, niche works like the one I just did. And I really just uh, you know, told the whole thing. So the, the best place I thought to start was uh, the reconnaissance in the morning at dawn. Uh, chronologically, that's a good place to start, and that's where supposedly everything went wrong. Mm-hmm. The re- reconnaissance gave false information to General Lee. He used that information. They set up a plan, and the plan didn't work. The The day fell apart. Mm-hmm. It's just uh, one of those things people talk about. This was a problem, and then they move on. But they, yeah, we don't really know much about it. So uh, it's one of those uh you know, it, it's a, it's an enigma and we don't know why anybody did what they did, but they did it. And here's what happened. So let's talk about that. Right. Uh, so, uh, so I, I went to the back of the books and the sources of some of the one volume sources and, uh, and I said, okay, well, here's what they're using to cite. Let me go get these letters. So I reached out to the Virginia historical society. So they sent me the letters. I looked through them and I said, well, this doesn't really say there's a lot of assumption in the in the secondary sources they say okay well maybe i'm missing something so i got the letters i got the speeches from mcclaws and uh it's like this just didn't seem to add up yeah so i did some more digging and i wrote an article just on the reconnaissance and uh see i got some good feedback on it uh which is always nice when you jump into a gettysburg topic or uh everybody knows pretty much everything so i said okay i'll check into uh johnston's uh bi- biography you know i found a lot of interesting things and it ended up being there's some stuff that i left out but there most of the bio that i was able to discover a lot of that's in the book yeah and so there's just not enough for a full-length bio so but that opened up other questions i saw johnston we know sam johnston primarily from his reconnaissance his contemporaries knew him for the uh, the counter march, yeah. um, le- leading Longstreet's uh, first corps into position and supposedly getting lost, turning around and causing a delay. That's where he came in is because of an argument because of that. So, so I guess the recon led to an interest in Johnston in general, which then led to well, the, the counter march is really where he uh, was known in his in his life, mm-hmm. and so there was really a link there. So I said, you know what, I. I went to find more info. It just wasn't there. I said, uh, I just have to know what happened or what I think happened. Yeah. And so, uh, so I went and found as many sources as I could. Okay. That's great. Let's go back just to set it up for the readers a little bit. Can you talk about the events that led up to the battle of Gettysburg and why it became so critical, not only in the war, but in the history of our country? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the, the nutshell version, mm-hmm. You know, I think a, a tour guide once told me that it was very easy for him to do an eight-hour tour. It's very hard to do a one- or two-hour tour because <laughs> uh, there's so, so much, much out there. And you got to, yeah. what's the important stuff? So so um, uh, at risk of getting uh, in trouble for somebody saying I missed something important, the nutshell version is Lee decides to go north. He's in Virginia. He's fought a couple of battles in the same general vicinity. Um you know, not the exact same battlefields for the most part, but uh, along the same general line. Very successful in um, September the year before, uh, or or, or in, in August the year before, which sparks uh, uh, the first movement north, which is in September of 1862. Mm-hmm. That leads to the Battle of Antietam, mm-hmm. um, which, which is uh, considered the bloodiest single day in American history. So that's considered a tactical draw. 
he he falls back to Virginia, uh, sets up a line. It's in um, December of that year, the Battle of Fredericksburg, mm-hmm. uh, smashing victory for the uh, the Confederates. They spend the winter there. The next spring, uh, the new Union commander, they tend to get replaced after every battle at that point. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the new Union commander is fighting uh, Joe Hooker. Um, uh, and he actually manages to get a, a successful flank march around uh, Lee's army and catches him uh, pretty much by surprise. Uh, Lee is able to recover. Part of that is poor leadership, unfortunate re- uh, circumstances on the Union side. At the end of the day, Lee ends up winning the Battle of uh, Chancellorsville. Stonewall Jackson's famous flank attack uh, around and surprises the the Union Army. Stonewall Jackson is also mortally wounded yeah. at Chancellorsville. Yeah. Just shot by his own men while he's doing his own reconnaissance of the front. Yeah. And so uh, uh, that prompts a reorganization of the, the the Confederate Army. So Longstreet keeps his corps, but there are two additional corps before Gettysburg. There are uh, two Confederate corps af- at Gettysburg, and there, there's three. Um, and so there's two brand new corps commanders. Lee essentially says, I can't stay here. Each battle is getting progressively worse. I can't keep living off the land. Let's move north. That will do a few things. And there is some debate about the specific reasons and what his primary motives were. But generally speaking, is looking to accomplish a, a, a decisive victory in the north. Yeah. That will either destroy the Union Army militarily, so it's not a fighting force, uh, Napoleon, you know, Napoleonic, you know, victory, so to speak. Yeah. Or a political victory. Yeah. Uh, which is going to destroy. You win a battle, a big battle in the north, uh, north of Washington. You threaten the major cities: Baltimore, Washington, Philadelphia, Harrisburg, the capital of Pennsylvania. So um, that's going to even if you don't destroy the army, maybe you get the the. The politics to go your way and you cancel funding for the war public support so you can't carry it on whether your military is strong enough to do so or not you know mm-hmm. think uh some of our recent wars you have vietnam thrown in there you have you have to have a political will sure. to fight a war and if you destroy that absolutely and then you also get supplies um yeah you don't have to rely so much on uh the the southern supply chain you can rely on uh, and, and pick pick up uh, supplies from the north, you know, let them contribute to your army a little bit. Uh, so yeah. what's the prime motive is, you can have a, a whole separate podcast on that if you want, but uh, yeah. uh, there's a lot of disagreement there, but uh, those are right. some of the, the primary points to hit. So moves north um, uh, June 3rd of 1863. So they spend almost a month marching north. Uh, it's a very successful campaign for them. They pick, they do pick up a lot of supplies and uh, uh, they, they, sort of you know the not that they're out there acting like you know pirates on the pirates of the caribbean ride but they're terrorizing the north there's a lot of uh panic in the north uh people are sending horses and supplies and money and and you know banks are closing down and sending uh you know sending them for further north uh mm-hmm. they you know plow through uh kind of the the uh uh, speed bump armies, if you will uh some of these uh ancillary armies smaller armies not the ones you think about you know in popular uh memory but um and they're just on a roll yeah and lee gets to central pennsylvania and his army is split so he's got one corps which is long streets which we focus on in here and uh, doing the book uh, he's west of gettysburg you, you have part of another corps north of gettysburg and part of another corps east of gettysburg and then 
a little bit closer to Gettysburg than Longstreet, but still west of town, you have uh, AP Hill. Mm-hmm. And so they're all moving east to, to various cities. Yeah. And uh, when word of the Union Army being in or approaching Gettysburg uh, reaches uh, Lee, he consolidates his army. Yeah. So they're all moving back towards Gettysburg. Yeah. Um, and that's what starts the battle is this uh, Lee is consolidating and Meade, the Union Army commander, is moving up to, uh, again, depending on who you ask for various reasons, but two corps end up in Gettysburg uh, with uh, about 2,500 cavalry on um, the night before. So July 1st starts the battle, and they just keep feeding troops in. Then Lee decides, what am I going to do next? He goes through a couple of plans. Contrary to the, the movie and some of the popular opinions today, Longstreet is not wanting to move around to the right and just real adamant on what the, the, the plan is. General James Longstreet, who served as General Robert E. Lee's principal subordinate, and Lee called his, quote, old war horse, was born in Edgefield District, South Carolina, and attended the United States Military Academy at West Point from 1838 to 1842 as part of a class that included future Union General Ulysses S. Grant. Longstreet fought bravely and was seriously wounded in the Mexican-American War. Although he had reservations about secession, he offered his services to the South. Many of Longstreet's most well-known victories came in the months after Robert E. Lee assumed command of Confederate forces in mid-1962. At the Battle of Second Bull Run, Longstreet's forces executed a devastating flank attack that nearly destroyed Union General John Pope's Army of Virginia. During the Battle of Antietam, the single bloodiest day of the Civil War, Longstreet mounted a defensive stand in which his army repelled a Union force nearly two times its size. His skill at fighting from defensive positions was again showcased during the Battle of Fredericksburg in December of 1962. By making creative use of the terrain, digging trenches, and constructing fieldworks, Longstreet's forces were able to withstand repeated offenses from the Union Army, resulting in a convincing Confederate victory. He decides, you know, tell me where to go. He comes, he says, moving to the right would be a good idea. Lee says, I thought about that already. Uh, we looked into it and it's just not feasible. Mm-hmm. And he says, okay, where do you want me boss? Yeah. And, uh, so he says, get your troops up to uh supporting distance. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll tell you where to go in the morning. So long street by all accounts does that he's uh, about two to three miles, depending on where you personally are in long streets core, mm-hmm. it's about 14,000 guys. You're not all in one spot, right. uh, but he's between two and three miles away. Yeah. Which is exactly where you want to be at midnight in supporting distance the day before. Right. Um, and so Lee's got a plan for July 2nd and, uh, cause we're July 1st, they win the day, they push the, the union army back. And now they have a plan for July 2nd, July 2nd initial plan is, kind of a pincer movement. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're f- familiar with the, uh, the, the layout of, of the battle at Gettysburg, the battlefield call yeah, cemetery Hills, kind of the, the main focal point of what both armies are trying to either protect or take Culp's Hill is, uh, just to the, uh, 
you know, to the east of that, northeast, if you will. Mm-hmm. And then the the Confederates are supposed to swing around to the uh, the existing Confederates, not Longstreet yet, are going to be a little bit to the uh, the south, and they're just going to kind of squish them together. Mm-hmm. That changes very quickly, yeah, uh, as, as things go wrong, right? Um, but but that's how we get to the morning of July second. In general, the Union has the higher ground here. Yeah. Which turns out to be a big factor. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah height is uh, height is definite, especially for the artillery. The artillery platforms are going to be uh, a very good for the, the Union Army. Mm-hmm. On, on foot, you know, depending on what you can see, somebody once told me uh, uh, the, the the biggest, the most important elevation in infantry battles is six feet. Cause then after you go six feet too low, you can't see anything ahead of you and it's six feet. So, right. But these were, these were, I guess we could characterize them as like gentle Hills. They weren't like mountains or anything, but enough elevation right. to give the, the North like a decided advantage. Oh, absolutely. Okay. So that morning, certain things take place that later on became very controversial. Uh, yeah, Absolutely. Again, there's a lot of things. This is one of kind of the big uh, black holes of history is what's going on on the Confederate side, uh, especially with Longstreet's guys um, on the morning of July 2nd. So the uh, I guess the standard interpretation is that Longstreet didn't want to fight on July 2nd, mm-hmm. uh, that he did want to move uh, to the, the Confederate right, which you know, would be the, the federal left, yeah. uh, and you can move south. Yeah. I think that's certainly true the following day, mm-hmm. and most of the contemporary record would support that. Uh, the movie, you know, if any fans of the movie out there, that's kind of the, one of the bases <laughs> of the of the plot, is Longstreet doesn't want to fight, he knows better. Yeah. Uh, and, and he does take that role on after the war as he comes under more and more and more criticism. Yeah. Uh, so he plays into that. You you can easily go find Longstreet saying exactly what they said he said. Right. The difference is he says that at, well after the fact. There's no evidence that he's thinking that at the time. And most of the evidence points the other way. So so Longstreet um, is is not really acting slow. What What's going on is about 4 o'clock in the morning, give or take that and that's one of the things we get into kind of in the prologue is time is not something you can pin down i mean it's really neat to see some of these these books and a lot of some of them i've used as sources it's it's not saying anything against them but you can't accurately pin down a minute by minute account of any of this stuff right it's really a chronology that we're putting together right and so but it's roughly four o'clock in the morning that lee gets word that the the people are not in position on Culp's Hill for that uh, northern part of the pincer movement. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that not only are they not in place, they can't get into place because Union troops are on the hill that they were going to use as the stepping off point for the pincer movement. Yeah. Not only that, there's Union troops coming up to prevent those Confederate troops from moving anywhere. So they're essentially stuck north of town, uh, an entire corps. Um, yeah. And, and so that's a problem. For Lee. So now he's got to think of another plan and he's trying to think of something relatively quick. Now he's on the fly. Now he's aggravated. And that's one of the ongoing themes of the battle as well. One of these things that you see over and over and over again is Lee is aggravated. Lee is anxious. Yeah. That's been attributed to his diet. Um his health is bad. Yeah. He uh, you know, he 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 did have uh, you know, diarrhea, not to be blunt about it, but he did. Yeah, you know, that's gonna make you irritable when you're out in the middle of a field and 
yep. nowhere to go. Uh, he did have uh, the, you know, heart issues are certainly something that people take into consideration. I personally think that, that those certainly are things that are going to aggravate you. But on top of that, and probably to me more importantly, is the fact that he's got this plan in place and now he's got to change it immediately. And there really aren't any good options at that point. You point out another thing in, in your book, uh, which is that, you know, the communication wasn't great. And also there were all these moving parts. So there are all these people arriving at Gettysburg from different areas encountering different delays and different problems. You know, it's not like they all had walkie talkies and they could just get on them and go, Hey, I'm here. Uh, I ran into a, a Creek or something like that. We're going to be a little bit delayed. You get this sense of Lee kind of wanting to put all the pieces in certain, certain parts of the, the landscape, but yet, you know, not really having a contemporary full picture of what that is. Exactly. Uh, th that's a hundred percent accurate and a really good point. Um, if you, and there, there's a great visual representation of exactly what you just said. Uh, Jedediah Hotkiss, Hotchkiss, I said it wrong. Um, he's, uh, he's one of the sources I used, um, as well. And he, he's, he's well known. He's a well known map maker. Uh, he's got a, 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 his diary basically, uh, make me a Mac, make, make me a map of the uh, valley. Oh, wow. And, uh, he, he was Stonewall Jackson's, uh, uh, map maker yeah. and his engineer. So he's up, he's up North with that, um, uh, with the Northern pincer movement, which is Yule's core. Mm -hmm. And, uh, when you look at his map, it's incredibly accurate and detailed for the parts that he has access to. Yeah. And then it's just kind of, there's eh, some hills over here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So when you get down to the part where we're talking about, there's nothing there. Yeah. You know, it's, it's very nondescript. And, uh, another point on the, 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 the point that you just make is that's why Johnston goes on his reconnaissance is mm -hmm. when Lee is trying to figure out where am I going to attack? One, he's seen union troops coming up from the South. He's seen, he knows union troops are coming in from the East and, you go to uh, Gettysburg and the first thing you see is little round top, depending on, you know, if you're, yeah. if you're anywhere on the Southern portion of town, little round top and big round top are, the, those are kind of the dominating features of the landscape. Yeah. But if you stand on the Confederate side of things, and again, you don't have, um, you know, you, you have some binoculars that are okay for that, that time. And, um, mm -hmm. we don't have drones, you don't have satellite, yeah. you don't have anything. All you have is your eyesight. Yeah. Um, and what people are reporting to, you can't see what's between the road that Emmitsburg road is kind of the dividing line, you know, no man's land, if you will, mm -hmm. you can't see what's past that and between that and the round tops, you just see kind of the road and then the hills rising up from the road. Yeah. And so that's the ground that you're going to traverse to attack. Yeah. And, and, and for plan B now that you need a plan B. Yeah. Now, the, the interesting, well, one of the interesting parts to me was that that had been contemplated the day before. Mm -hmm. So they've seen part of this ground the day. They know that the slopes, like you mentioned, the gradual slopes on that side versus they're not steep. They're not, you're, you're not needing a, a mountain climbing gear to, to get up there, but right. they're much steeper on the other side than they are for the side they eventually attack, which leads them to come to the conclusion that's a better place to attack yeah. but they also don't know are there any troops there and what's between that road and the round tops where we're going to have to to attack from mm -hmm. and so that's what prompts johnston 
to be called is he's actually investigated the same ground that he mm-hmm. the day before uh, in the evening. A less famous reconnaissance. He mentions it briefly in a letter, um, and a couple other people briefly mention it. Again, it's just part of the job. You're not going to write every single thing down that you do. So, so Lee calls him and he says, I need you to go investigate the Union left flank. Is it still where we thought it was from last night? Have they increased their uh, uh, the troop levels down in that area? And what's the ground look like? Are there roads to get there? Can I maneuver troops? You know, is it swamps down there? Is it? Yeah. So that's his goal. Um, and so he, he's to to fill in that that blind spot that you said they don't have radios or Google Earth or satellites. The only maps that they really have are not topographical maps. Yeah, they're, they're road maps. But if you look on the map they're using, which is uh, the 1858 Adams County map, uh, you can go get it as a souvenir in the gift shops. Now you can find a high def online. Um, you're going to see all of the roads and you're going to see none of the uh you know, no uh, contour lines. You have no idea that little round top is that you won't find little round top or big round top on the map because <laughs> it's just flat. And so he needs to know what's going on right. over there. And that's the point of the reconnaissance because, and, and the timeline matches up. Yeah. Um, again, exact times, we're not going to know. Right. But the timeline matches up where they find out that they can't do plan A. They revert back to the original plan A from the day before, which is now plan B. Yeah. And they need to investigate to make sure. So that's what prompts the, uh, the quote, famous or infamous, depending on where you fall on it, uh, reconnaissance that Sam Johnston does. The area of military engagements during the Battle of Gettysburg covered the majority of the town area, with Union troops generally holding the higher ground, north, west, and south. Directly south of Gettysburg rose the gently sloped Cemetery Hill, Eastward were Culp's Hill and Stevens Knoll. The two highest battlefield points were at Round Top to the south, with the higher summit at Big Round Top, the lower oval summit on Little Round Top, and a saddle between. The Round Tops were rugged and strewn with large boulders, as was Devil's Den to the west. Big Round Top steep slopes were heavily wooded, which made it unsuitable for sitting artillery. Though Little Round Top was unwooded, its steep and rocky form made it difficult to deploy artillery in mass. Union forces generally held a strong defensive position on Cemetery Hill, Cemetery Ridge, and Culp's Hill, which made it difficult for the Confederate forces to attack and take the high ground. That kind of leads itself into the second part of it, which is where Johnston was known at the time, and that's that countermarch. The idea is that, like you said, you're going to move uh, 14,000 troops to essentially the rear of the Union Army. Um, yeah. We often interpret it as the left flank because that's where it ended up being. Yeah. But at the time that um, Samuel Johnston, the uh, the engineer and the uh, the scout that goes and does that reconnaissance, he uh, it's essentially the rear of the army that they're looking at. Mm-hmm. And there's a, an interesting couple of interesting quotes, just kind of, you know, peripheral quotes, not, you know, and I, I find to be the most honest. Mm-hmm. So nobody, nobody's looking directly at it, trying to make a point. It's just kind of a, a, a throwaway comment. Yeah. But in his, uh, in one of the most contemporary letters or accounts that we have is, is McClaws. Yeah. McClaws is the lead uh, division in 
Longstreet's move to the to attack uh, off to the Union left. Yeah, and so uh, so he's he's right at the front, and he gets blamed for a lot of stuff. So he, he's one of the main accounts that um, in this whole countermarch delay argument, and so he um, you know he he says. Um, yeah, the whole point is to be there uh, w- w- without being without being seen, mm-hmm. um, and that's what causes the that's what causes the whole the whole thing is is not to, is not to be seen, and the one that really throws Johnston uh, under the bus, if you will. Yeah, you know, he says that Johnston, you know, eventually concedes that the that his reconnaissance was probably accurate. It's just it's delayed. You're yeah there at six o'clock in the morning, give or take. Yeah, and the attack starts at four o'clock in the afternoon. There's a lot of things that change. Yeah. But McClaws writes home to his wife on July 7th, three days after the battle or the, they start retreating from the battle. Yeah. And he says that the, the intention was to get nearly in the rear of the union army. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, in his mind, before all this controversy starts, they're supposed to attack the rear. Then it eventually drifts into, well, this was the left. And that's because they're remembering how it actually was. And by the time they attack, it is a left, but the intention is to attack the rear. Right. They just never got there. Well, it, it, well, and that and the, uh, the union line moved Yeah, where they attacked it, you know, at six, six thirty in the morning was the rear of the union army. But then, mm-hmm. uh, you throw in uh, Dan Sickles who always, uh, is good for starting a controversy in civil war crowds. <laughs> um, he, he's a character in and of himself, but, uh, he, um, so he actually moves his troops. Um, you know, mm. they, the order is to extend it further south to Little Round Top. So they still wouldn't have been in the rear at that point. But Sickles takes it upon himself um, or interprets his orders differently, which, which again, whichever side of this you, you want to fall on, I don't want to make anybody mad. But yeah. uh, eventually he moves his, his line up to the Emmitsburg Road, which is uh, about three quarters of a mile in front of the rest of the Union troops. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, so when the Confederates attack, they're not anywhere near the rear anymore. Now they're solidly facing the left of the, the Union Army. Mm-hmm. And, and so you don't have a flank or a rear attack anymore. Now you have almost a head-on attack with a little bit of that on the on the flank. So it's a much different attack, much different position. But it's interesting to me when he mentions that it's the rear because that that, to me, tells me that Johnston got to where he said he did, which is another part of the controversy. And also that the the intention was to have a, a slight flank and rear attack, not to have the attack that actually happened. So they have to adjust on the fly. Right. There was a lot of adjusting on the fly yeah. on both sides, but especially on the Confederate side, because they keep encount- running into, once the plan, and in your book you talk about, like the plan wasn't set until about 11, 11 o'clock in the morning. Is that correct? Yeah. I, again, back to that time, 10, 30, 11, 11, 15, but that ball, but late morning is, is probably, I think I come down on the uh, 11 o'clock side of it, but uh, late morning is fair. Okay. So at that point, then you've got a really, you know, on the right, you, you pretty much have things in position, but on the left, there's a lot of maneuvering that has to be done because there are still troops arriving. And also you've got a You've got to move them through this area that has just been reconnoitered, basically, you know, and, and, and like, as you pointed out, like, this isn't their territory. They don't know the roads. They don't know the streams and and the topography that well. Exactly. And that's, um, 
you know that that's one of the controversies is who's who's investigating the roads who's not investigating you know if it, if you were the scout why didn't you investigate the roads and why did you lead us this way and why did and right. um and uh and again that all comes about well after the war that controversy but yeah on, on july 2nd you have a small group of scouts and everybody tends to forget not that they forget but we talk about johnston and his reconnaissance he had a couple of other people with him mm -hmm. and uh that's its own controversy. Who went with him? Why didn't he name names? And, it, and so I get into that a little bit in the book of who I think it's uh, that's certainly open to interpretation. But um, that's uh, his job is to scout that area, and he does that. Mm -hmm. And he actually probably reports again. We don't have his actual report. There is no report. So uh, any anytime you see in the, the kind of the standard accounts, uh, Johnson didn't report any troops there we don't know what he actually reported we can only guess these were verbal reports right they weren't written reports no yeah the uh the closest we get to what he said is johnston himself saying mm -hmm. this is what i reported yeah. yeah 15 15 to 30 years after the yeah. battle you know he writes a couple <laughs> letters in that range i told lee about the topography i told um you know i showed him the the route i went over but he doesn't say what he saw, who he saw, where he, he says I got to Little Round Top, but that's also thirty years after the battle. Yeah, I think everything lines up that he did, but you know, we nobody was there. We don't know. That's one of the great the the big arguments in these you know the campfire circles here is uh, uh <laughs> did he get to Little Round Top or not? Yeah, and so uh, uh spoiler for the book is uh, I think he does get to Little Round Top, but you know it, it's. You know, explain why, but that's uh, uh, um, but from there you can see what you need to see. Mm -hmm. He uh, he reports back, and if one of the things that Johnston repeatedly says that he reported back, not 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 the troops that he saw, but the the lay of the land, the topography, mm -hmm. and so to me it's interesting that once Lee gets the report, all accounts agree that he then goes to the other side of the battlefield where the pincer movement was supposed to start. So he goes up to that sector. Which to me indicates that he wasn't real happy with the lay of the land and mm -hmm. the prospect of attacking over that ground. Yeah, and so he goes back to the north, says this is even worse. Yeah, and then he's really aggravated, and all of the accounts say that at that part of the day he is steaming. Yeah, and uh, most people, especially the Confederates that saw him and were with him after the war, of course, when this whole political controversy is is broiling over. Are going to say, well, he was mad at Longstreet because Longstreet wasn't in position, but he's not because Longstreet hasn't been ordered anywhere. How <laughs> <laughs> could he be a position? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, he, I think Lee's mad that none of this is working out. His his good plan it's not lining up. Ended up yeah. being you know the worst, the you know the better of two options, and neither one of them are ones that he wants to take on. Yeah, and so he eventually comes back and he basically tells Longstreet, "Fine, this is where you're going to go. Go attack down this way." Right we want this to be kind of a surprise flank attack here. Try not to be seen if you can. Yeah. And that's Lee's decision. Yeah. Longstreet is kind of going like, Hey, I don't think this looks so good. His tendency was to wait for the, the union to attack the Confederates, like to fight a defensive battle. Well, that's definitely one of the, uh, one of the interpretations of Longstreet. In this particular instance, I th definitely on July 30th, he's, he's, his heart's not in the attack. He doesn't want to do it. He's late. Yeah. Here, I mean, on July 1st when he comes up, so now the night before again, he's the commander. His troops aren't up at the battlefield, but he is. He, he meets with Lee. Yeah. And he does initially say, 
why don't we move off to the right and move further south? Um, kind of that whole popular opinion. And yeah. Lee says, we actually thought about that. that. That's a good idea, but practically that's not going to work. There's a lot of reasons we can't move mm-hmm. our troops that direction overnight. And and so Longstreet basically says, okay, well, if you looked at it, then, then I believe you. Yeah. And so I don't get the impression from looking at the contemporary stuff that Longstreet has any qualms about the July 2nd attack. Okay. You know, and, and what Lee wants to do. That's definitely the, the, I'd say the standard interpretation. Um, mm-hmm. but then he does have to make changes and alter his plans a few times. And so I'm sure everybody's frustrated at that point, sure. but it's not, it's not based on the original plan and we should have moved South or we should have, you know, been a defensive uh, battle. Um, you know, cause long, long streets, best two best days of the war are, uh, second Manassas and Chickamauga, which is in the, the fall of 63, mm-hmm. a few months later. And those are brilliant attacks. Yeah. And so he gets the, the, the repu- the reputation of being a defensive general, yeah. but he's very good with an attack. And that's why he's, that's why he's put there. There's a reason yeah. and in order to say that, you know, Longstreet is awful and is a terrible commander and he's not good at it. You have to also be saying that Lee doesn't know what he's talking about and picking his commanders right. because why would he do that? No. And this guy stuck with him for a long time. I mean, he yeah. wasn't just appointed the day before the battle. So he, right. he was a, a tested general and respected, highly respected right. one. Yeah. And he's very well respected. He, there, there's a, there's a day that you can pinpoint where he becomes uh, a respected general to the most hated person uh, in, in the Confederacy, essentially. Uh, and that, that happened in June of uh, 1867. Uh-huh. He writes a, he writes an article. And, uh, but before that, you can literally, literally days before that, they have articles that say, Oh, our gallant general Longstreet, here's a toast to Longstreet. And yeah. he's one of our most successful generals and beloved son of the South. And all, all the great stuff you'd see about any other generals. Right. Um, up there with Lee, uh, Jackson, Stewart, you know, yeah. uh, Forrest, and and all, all of these these you know Southern uh, icons. Mm-hmm. Uh, Longstreet's up there until he admits, or or in his mind, he you know he he says that the South, the Confederacy, fought the war to preserve the Southern way of life, not for any abstract political movement, not strictly for you know slavery or not slavery or or what it, none of the standard causes, you know. A lot of the Confederates at that time were saying that, well, we we seceded only, it, we were only really fighting for the right to secession, not so much any of this other stuff. <laughs> and yeah, you know, it's uh, and maybe some of them were, but Longstreet yeah. takes a position and he takes it publicly, yeah, uh, very publicly that we fought for our way of life. And I'm a soldier, and when you win, you get to keep what you have, and when you lose. You have to do what the loser or the, the victor says. Yeah. And we lost. Yeah. So our principles lost with us. And so we have to abide by whatever the North says. He said, that's just, that's, he's, I'm a soldier. That's what it, and that's what the, the, the Southerners, uh, the, the, the prominent Southerners can't abide. They can't, yeah. you know, we, we did not put our culture, our way of life on the line. And, you, you know, we can sit here today and we can say, oh, well, you know, the Southern way of life. There's 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 a lot of things you can say negative, the primary one being uh, uh, slavery. Yep. You also have a pretty tight caste system, so you're not moving up or down socially very much. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a very old, you know, English aristocratic lifestyle back then. So if you're at the top, life is yeah, great. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> but if you're not, then it's not, not right. so great. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 
And so that's good, bad nostalgia. I'm not here to, you know, we're not criticizing the South per se, but you can understand whatever your thoughts on the South were, why the other side comes about, because you're going to, if that's your life and your lifestyle and your culture, you're going to defend it. Anybody would. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Right, wrong, or otherwise. Yeah. You just have to know. And Longstreet is, Longstreet is attuned to the fact that he's not a political guy. He can't really read a room very well. It's probably not the most politic thing to say but he's just being honest you know this is how i feel we we fought hard we lost we came close there's a lot of nobility there on the battlefield and bravery but you know this is the new reality and we have to adjust to it right so this is really kind of the turning point like in your book because whatever happened on the second which i think you've laid out like really well the history is written later and as you're pointing out he, now, Longstreet starts to become the villain of the battle. Yeah. And you attribute it, and I think correctly, to positions he took after the war. And right. that sort of changed the, the whole narrative, or it colored the whole narrative of what was written after the war. Yeah, absolutely. There's a, a little bit of a dividing line, I think. I think anyways um, in, in history studies where you you have the like the tactical studies we'll call them the standard the traditional military studies and then you have the historiography the inability to discover the truth does not rule out its objective existence as author Alan Thompson points out there's a distinction between historical truth and interpretation or personal narrative. The first is objective and the latter is subjective. There were no video cameras to capture what really happened during the Battle of Gettysburg. In a process he calls sifting, Alan Thompson sorted through all eyewitness accounts, compared them, analyzed individual motives and personal agendas, and tried to approximate the truth. How does a story develop? And I, I don't think you can have one without the other. Yeah. Uh, you, you, you especially, I mean, you don't have anything to, to, to develop. You don't have a narrative to develop without the events happening. Right. But on the flip side, how you get the story of the events is is how you're going to interpret the events. So it's not, you don't have a camera sitting there of, or, you know, you don't have the, uh, the sky cam from the, uh, the NFL sitting there just, yeah. you know, following the battle around and you're just kind of taking notes and who went where. And you can replay it and so on and so forth and zoom in and all that stuff. Yeah. All we have are the memories of these guys, Yeah, you know, and uh, I, I make a point in the book to say that uh, even if we had cameras yeah. back, I mean, we have cameras, but we're taking still photos of the aftermath. So that that's very valuable for a resource. Mm-hmm. Um, but you don't have video, yeah. you, have, you don't have action photography. You don't have video photography by any means. And even a video uh, is not entirely objective. Yes. The cameraman's pointing that video somewhere for a reason. Right. Um, again, the, the closest you're going to get to an objective, uh, uh, I guess account is putting a, a video camera on each side of a battle line and then just looking at both of them. Mm-hmm. So that's, uh, but we don't have that. Yeah. And so the closest we can do is, is see what they wrote. Uh, and as I was going through this and, uh, anybody who's ever even approached this subject, uh, 
the very first thing, you know, the first day, first 20 minutes of looking into this, you're going to see that not only the accounts differ a little bit, they flatly contradict each other. <laughs> um, yeah. And I, I, and then those sources will contradict the other source that you can find. And then those sources will contradict each other themselves. Yeah. So McClaws uh, will say one thing and then he'll say another thing. And then he'll say another thing in a different account. And sometimes he'll say the exact opposite in his own account. Wow. And he's not the only one, but he's just the one that he's most prominent in this story. So, right. um, so literally after so many sleepless nights of just, you know, what the heck happened? <laughs> something happened. Right. Right. Well, we know something happened, uh, but we don't have that, that, that objective camera. So, uh, so, so something is not right here, you know, a plus, you know, a, a plus B equals C. Yeah. And if it doesn't, you got to go back to square one and say, well, I don't either don't have a, or I don't have B or I have something that looks like an A or a B. So something's wrong here. Right. And there's another part of it too, uh, which you talk about in the book is that you don't know people's motives, right. And, 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 and the right. personalities, because when it gets into the counter march and some of these other things, there are people with, there are two, you've got two generals with, with, uh, you know, egos and one wants to go first and the other one thinks he should go yeah. first. And they end up like clogging up the, you know, delaying the whole thing. And you would think, well, you know, that can't be strategy. Well, it's not strategy. That's not the way it was planned. But those were the guys you had and they had histories and they had egos and they had reasons why they felt the way they felt. And, you know, hey, this is this is the result. So in a sense, if you just looked at it, you go, well, this doesn't make sense. But then when you add the, you know, the egos and the motives right. and so on and so forth, well, then it makes, does make sense. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that's a, a big part of the book and really kind of uh, in one of the, the keystones or, um, you know, the, the can't come up with a term off the top of my head, uh, but the, you know, the final stone in an arch, you know, that holds everything in place. Right, is right. W once we kind of came to the conclusion and we found some of these things, um, so the 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 two you mentioned, McClaws and uh, John Bell Hood, yeah, uh, they had this pretty, I'd say, vicious in the sense of of words, uh, rivalry, and Hood is this overly aggressive, I would say, overly aggressive uh, general. He's the other division commander in Longstreet's corps, so it's him and McClaws are the two division commanders. Yeah, um, Hood has already blamed mcclaws in the past for that battle at antietam yeah if he had showed up on it uh, very similar to this <laughs> controversy if he had showed up on time yeah. we would have won the battle right and after gettysburg you get if mcclaws had just been there on time we would have won the battle yeah. and so this seems to be a thing and right or wrong mcclaws gets this reputation of being slow yeah and just not very aggressive he is a solid steady guy by i i really sympathize with McClaws. I think he's a, he's probably a really good guy to know. Mm -hmm. uh, he's a pretty good general. Mm -hmm. He's just n doesn't have that flair in Elon that mm -hmm. you associate with a Confederate army in the East. Yeah. Um, you know, he's not Stonewall Jackson. He's not Jeb Stewart with a plume in the hat and, <laughs> right. you know, um, yeah. and so he, he's solid, he's steady, yeah. but he's, he doesn't have any flair. So, uh, and hood is the opposite hood is, you know, uh, Kentucky born Texan, and he's got this flow. He's aggressive, you know, go, go, go. Later on, that gets him in trouble because he's overly aggressive. Uh, he's got this amazing attraction uh, or, or 
northern made bullets have an amazing attraction to him he ends up getting shot pretty much every time he goes into the field he gets severely wounded at gettysburg doesn't lose the arm but it's he loses the use of it he loses a leg later on um he's just really shot up in literal sense of the term um but uh he commands an army out west later on in the war out by atlanta against sherman's guy and he just he, he doesn't do well uh not at all so uh, but these him and mcclaws have this this argue this, this rivalry and mcclaws till the day dies i mean one of the last things that he writes is like the late 1880s and it's going back and saying how he was not late at antietam darn it yeah <laughs> you yeah. know uh and hood was wrong and then so so there's this whole history there and when mcclaws is supposed to be in the lead at marching to Gettysburg, he gets himself on the road and he finds out that who's already marching and passing his troops by is hood <laughs> and McClaws is on time. He's not late. Yeah. He's just hood has gotten there before. And he's like, Jesus, you know, I, I you know, and, and they're literally fighting and, and long street, you know, both of their commanders on June 3rd, the day they start the Gettysburg campaign, um, there's a, a letter from uh, Longstreet to McClaws saying, well, if you're really that unhappy, I'll help get you out of the army. And part of that unhappiness is his feud with Hood saying, because they're writing each other back and forth. Look, you know, Hood writes an apology the end of May to, to McClaws and McClaws, there's no record of what, if he had accepted it or not, <laughs> but it doesn't seem like he did. Yeah. And this is as they're stepping off to go on to what ends up as a Gettysburg campaign. Yeah. And, and these are the two guys that are in Longstreet's court. And then Longstreet has this ability later on. I, I'm not a Longstreet hater, but I'm also not a, a you know, a Longstreet, if you will, fanboy to use the term. Yeah. Um, he's a he's a person. He does well sometimes. He doesn't do well sometimes. He's got great personality traits. He's got bad personality traits. And depending on where he is in his life, some are going to take over more than the others. One would think that since Generals James Longstreet and Lafayette McLaws had known each other since their days at West Point, the pair were friendly. But that was not always the case, and their rancor towards each other became evident at Gettysburg when General Longstreet ordered General McLaws' four brigades to get into position to attack Union forces in the Peach Orchard, and McLaw objected, complaining that Longstreet was exceedingly overbearing. But as author Alan Thompson points out, Longstreet had good reason, including McLaws' delays and him taking a route that exposed his troops to Union forces. Despite their disagreements, Years later, after General Lee's death, when Longstreet was being blamed for the loss at Gettysburg by Jubal Early, William Pendleton, and others, McLaws defended his old commander, writing, and I quote, I think it is a grave assumption to assert that because Longstreet's corps did not assault at daylight, the Battle of Gettysburg was lost. So while I don't think he did that much... Uh, bad stuff at Gettysburg when he gets out on his own, he gets out, um, you know, later on in the war, Yeah, he and McClaws have this huge falling out and he does have a tendency. One of bad traits is to push blame off onto somebody else yeah. to his subordinates. Yeah. And McClaws is the senior subordinate and he starts to take a lot of Longstreet's blame. Yeah. Well, now you have Longstreet and McClaws and Hood as some of the primary players in this 
post-war thing. So you have this whole mix, this, this cauldron. I, I, I like to say if you're if you're trying to put, um, and this is not to, not getting political. I promise, yeah. it's just to make a, the, the point. If you're if you're a historian 150 years from now and you want to figure out what happened during COVID-19 <laughs> and all you have are two New York times op eds, um, a, a Fox news clip, uh, a speech by Trump, a speech by Biden, uh, a Fauci memo, and, um, a couple of emails from people going back and forth. You got like 10 sources yeah. that you think I got, I know what happened, yeah. but Look at your sources. We all know how biased all of those sources are on one side right, or the right, other. Right. Yeah. But you're 150 years from anything. Well, I got all of the and and they're 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 first person accounts. Yeah. If you've ever taken you know yeah. a history course yeah. and that your teacher professor says you want first person accounts, contemporary account, they're the well, you have them and you think I got everything. I got great. I got this is fantastic. I know what happened. Right. But you want to begin to know what happened. And it's kind of the same thing here. Yeah. So you have an account from hood in 1875. You have a couple of accounts from the clause. You have an account from Johnston and you have a little bit of accounts from Longstreet. Well, yeah, that doesn't get you very far. These are the guys who were there. They fought the battle. They, yeah. they would know, but they have, they still have access to grind with one another. The other part you, you talk about is how after the war, Lee became a sort of a figure that you weren't allowed to criticize. You know, he became, right. you know, the symbol of the glory of the South. So you you couldn't question anything he did. So it had to be his his subordinates. It, and that that's exactly what causes this. It causes many controversies, but focusing on this one, that's what causes this controversy. Is mm -hmm. you have. Um, you have one side saying that, um, you know, well, you guys went the wrong way. Yeah. Um, and McClaws, who's afraid that Longstreet's going to come after him, he says, well, uh, if I went the wrong way, it was only because Lee's guy, Johnston, the engineer who's on Lee's staff, um, he, he was leading us the wrong way. His scouting report was wrong. And not only was his report wrong, he led us the wrong way. Yeah. Like he was the one leading us. Right. And so that becomes, again, the, this whole chronology, you can kind of piece everything together as far as the story collecting itself um, into what the standard story is today. Yeah. Um, McClaw said, well, if, if we were to blame, well, it was your guy. And so um, then they go back, well, our guy, you know, said that. And then, so it's this back and forth and everybody's just completely missing the point. Yeah. And to Johnston's credit, I, I wish he did because we'd have more accounts about yeah, it, yeah. but maybe I don't because then it would have been answered. I wouldn't have the opportunity to, to study and write the book. But uh, <clears throat> for my own curiosity, I wish that Johnston had written a little more. But at that point, he's in his own career. He's a, a railroad guy. He's not getting into the politics of this stuff. Yeah. He just wants to move on. You know, the war did not do well for him. He's destitute after the war. Yeah. He goes from a, a just below like aristocratic level you know, very high middle class if you have such a thing at the time. Mm -hmm. But he goes from that level, he's got an estate, he's just married, he's he's got a, a career budding, and then he comes home from the war and he's he's destitute, he's he owes uh thousands upon thousands of dollars. And for context, he buys half interest in a like a few hundred acre estate for nine thousand dollars wow so he's eight nine ten thousand dollars in debt after the war yeah uh he's lost his house yeah uh his his firstborn son died 
Um, and so he's he, he's not doing well. Then he's he gets kicked by his horse. He's he's at, laid out for a while. So finally, he lands this job, and literally within a couple of months of landing this job, he, Longstreet, the second in command of the Confederate Army, says. You lost the war for us because you led us the wrong way, <laughs> and uh, in Thanks. a national in a national paper. I mean, this is uh, yeah, yeah, you know, this is yeah. not something uh, an op ed written for you know the 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 Alligator Swamp Times. You know, this is yeah, this isn't like the Philadelphia Weekly Press. You know, and uh, so yeah, one of Lee's quote one of these guys sends him a copy of this thing, and he's like. Well, what <laughs> yeah what the so hell? he, he yeah. sends them back a response and says please don't publish this and so he promptly publishes it um you know as part of his defense of what longstreet said so longstreet writes this thing then you know uh uh you know lee's nephew who's you know writes this and uh, then mcclaws writes this and then you have all of these people coming in and all of a sudden they forget what happened it's just this is your fault it's your fault it's your fault and at this point in time right Longstreet is already essentially the Judas of the South. He's betrayed the Southern cause by saying that the the Northern principles were right. And there's a, uh, I think it's one of Jubal Early's, uh, and ironically, Jubal Early he he's sort of the takes the banner of all of this. Uh, you know, um, the Lost Cause today has a really political overtone, but back then, Early actually coins the term Lost Cause. And so, from a, a standpoint of what He's referring to this idea that we couldn't win the war because we just didn't have the truth. It's almost this, um, you know, romantic notion of uh, kind of kind of Thermopylae, you know, the 300. There's no way we can win. But look how heroic we were. Right. Fighting for what our beliefs were in our civilization. Yeah. You know, and that so in that sense, when I say lost cause, not again, not the the political connotation of today. Yeah. So early is the, the, the lead figure there in that. And and he sets up this religious narrative essentially that, uh, like you said, Lee is God, and you can see the connotations. I use a bunch, but those are only a little tiny fraction of mm -hmm. the the um, you know the apotheosis uh, uh, language that they use. Yeah. So if Lee is God, Longstreet is his right hand man. Yeah. He's a second in command. He's actually a higher ranking general than Longstreet technically would so uh or then uh stonewall jackson rather so long longstreet's second in command he's the right hand of and what does he do he betrays lee and then he takes it on himself to say my idea was better so his ego is getting in the way so he's got this fall from grace yeah uh th this very uh you, you know lucifer <sighs> style and then if if longstreet hadn't fallen from grace if he hadn't taken that leap well the problems they would have won the war so literally all of the problems <laughs> of the south the, yeah. the, this this Garden of Eden going awry, the, this biblical narrative, and it's not me implying all of this from a couple sentences. Yeah. You read his speeches from the early 1870s, early that, that he That's flat out says. says it. Yeah, yeah. You know, and yeah. so he's setting this all up, and so Longstreet really becomes Lucifer and uh, the cause of the original sin, the original uh, you know problem of the South. All of the wrongs of the South are are from Longstreet. Yeah. Uh, and I, Lurley, I think, says somewhere one of his first two speeches in that he says that uh, you know he's essentially Judas. You know, Judas portrays Jesus, and then they said, but Judas had the decency to at least hang himself afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> wow. As a Longstreet does wow. have too much of an ego wow. to so do he's that. Even lower. Yeah.
Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's long street at this point. Wow. And so, um, you know, so you have this back and forth yeah. and really what happened that day, uh, most of the, the, the narratives that are on point with what happened are all from that debate Yeah, about who lost the war for the South. Right. Um, right. right. And, and so putting it back together to go back to July 2nd really involved taking a whole range of sources from, from diaries on both sides and letters they wrote to each other mm -hmm. uh official reports that they submitted and you might get one little nugget here and a little fraction here right and you're putting this puzzle back together and a lot of it's peripheral stuff like yeah. i said they're not talking about it on point right they're just talking about something else and that can be placed into the puzzle and you can kind of glean Mm -hmm. so you can glean something from there and when you put it all together you, you can kind of see what the story was mm -hmm. um you know and some very biased sources actually end up being good sources not for the part that they're talking about that's biased but for some of those something peripheral else. things yeah yeah very interesting. Um, there's a lot of sources that talk about uh lee being aggravated like we mentioned before yeah um well you can get all of these aggravated you know well i saw lee and he was aggravated we have, and it was Longstreet's fault because he wasn't there. So where is Longstreet? Why isn't he there? And yeah. you can kind of dismiss that part. Yeah. Um, but also where where is Lee coming from when he's aggravated? What is he doing when he's aggravated? And you can get rid of the, you know, the op-ed part of that from yeah. the the person. Yeah. And say, okay, well, Lee's coming back from Cemetery Hill. Well, he only went to Cemetery Hill after he talked to Johnston. So you can piece that. Well, Johnston reports and then lee goes up we know that and then he's coming back yeah from cemetery hill yeah. and then that's right before he orders the attack and he's aggravated well he's not aggravated at long street he's aggravated at what he saw the situation yeah, yeah. and so that's how you that's kind of how you get that right you know piece together right. there's a little more to it than those sources but yeah uh but that's kind of the approach i took i took uh one lawyers you know god bless us all you know we uh <laughs> we're trained that if somebody plops in a you know they plop a case down on your desk and that's the side you take. Yeah. The other side could be right. Yeah. But this is the side you take. Yeah. And, you know, as historians, when lawyers become historians, and again, they're, they they mesh pretty well the the uh the studies because of the training. Um but there there does tend to be the accusations that lawyers tend to prove their point. They have something their theory and they tend to prove it. And that's not entirely wrong, but you know, I, I I used a, that, but also kind of a little bit of a scientific method approach where let's get everything on the table itself yeah, and let's figure out what this all says. And so that's kind of the, yeah, well, I think if you come at something, which, you know, it feels like you did in a pure way where you're not taking a point of view in the beginning, right? right. You're just going, okay, this is what all the history books said and, 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 but I'm just going to look at all the evidence I can and just try to figure out like what really happened yeah. here. And whether I, whether I end up here or there or there, like fine, you know, I'm not related to long street exactly. or, or, you know, any of these guys, right. I, I want to get a more accurate picture of, of what it, you know, what took place. Right. And, and to me, that's, that's, you know, the genius of your book is that, you know, you do that. And it and it it feels very grounded and and fair. I definitely had the benefit of there really weren't 
positions drawn on this so much. There's a a couple of small ones like did Johnston get here or did he get there? Everybody's got their opinions on that. But you know, um for the most part, this really was a black hole of, of history, if you will. There were there mm-hmm. nobody knew. I mean, that was kind of the standard interpretations. We think this is what happened, but for the most part is we don't really know what happened. There's not there aren't sources. You know, yeah, we have these the couple of speeches that outline what it is, but we don't really know any of the whys and we don't know a lot of the what's yeah um there's a lot of where's that we don't know too so i mean there, there were a lot of open questions so i think that was beneficial that it wasn't mm-hmm. well i have to take a stand and i have to pick a side and we got to argue that right. where a lot of these places already have side, like like we talked about sickles and you know longstreet so there their sides drawn already and it's a little bit ironic that one of the uh artillery officers in longstreet's corps um actually his family lived at the intersection that they were they came out at <laughs> yeah uh the the, the wentz farm yeah. uh today wntz and that's uh uh there, there's a, the, the the real popular story of wesley culp who was killed on his you know uncle's farm and all that culp's hill which is mm-hmm. the hill that the pincer movement's supposed to start on he's killed on uh, the second or third there's no real there's a solid evidence of to which one he was killed on but he, he's killed and you know down you know the the a couple of fields over if you will from uh where uh he spent time as a kid and um you know what his relationship to jenny wade the only civilian killed during the battle immediately during the battle there's others wounded and you know hit by uh exploding shells you know farming their fields in the months and years later yeah. but she's the only one actually shot and killed during the battle wow. and uh so there's this whole uh, little love triangle between there and that she her you know her supposed her lover was best you know good friends with west coast so there's this whole you know personal you know uh you have this guy once who his family lived you know by right next to the peach orchard which is where they're supposed to hit their attack yeah and one of the big mysteries, and you know, it'd be a great thing for somebody to dig into and see if they could find in, you know, more information on. But why didn't anybody say, you know, hey, don't your family live yeah, there? Yeah, yeah. yeah, we a guy who literally lives here, <laughs> right? right. <laughs> and uh, so that's always been one of those, you know, well, why didn't they do that? And yeah. I didn't get into that. That was beyond the scope of what I was delving into. Yeah, but it's always been interesting. One of the things too, I think, in the standard story is that uh, the scouting of the roads is a big. A, a big piece of that mm-hmm. and johnston is usually named as one of the people well, he scouted the roads he should have known where they went and he had to have been leading them the wrong way well if you look at the map and you look at where the troops were they're literally a few hundred yards from the road that leads directly to where they need to line up yeah and, and so not being there is a uh one of the, i guess the biggest places that my my book kind of deviates from the standard uh there's obviously a lot of places but the one of the big ones is were they seen and why were they seen and who saw them yeah and and why did they turn around to begin with the standard story is that they got to this place again they're not supposed to be seen they get to this rise and they look up and they see these signal flags waving in the distance from little rounds oh my god we can't go that way they're gonna see us they're gonna report us we gotta stop and turn around yeah now where do we go and they march and they they lose you know depending on who you ask and when you ask them anywhere from an hour to like four hours yeah. of time and so they start the attack too late um but one of the points i make in the book is that you really can't see anybody on uh little round top without the assistance of 
you know, binoculars or something. And, and at the, the time, their binoculars would have been sufficient. But if you've ever, you've ever ridden on horseback, it's not even a gentle gait is you're bouncing a little bit. You're, yeah. You can't see your eyes can't focus and you can't. The only thing you can see at the distance they're at, which is about two and a half miles, is basically reflecting light. Yeah. So you can't see anybody. You can't see people. You can't see shapes. You can just see lights. Right. And so you're not going to stop in your tracks seeing signal flags waving and people in a, like two or three yeah. guys standing on little round top on top of a rock. Yeah. Um, yeah. But there is a skirmish going on. One of the little, I, I don't want to call it a side story because it's more than that. You have to go a little bit deeper into the battle to, to have it become a more prominent story. Um, it's skipped over a lot in the, the, the overviews. Um, and there's a, a sharpshooting um, unit, uh, Burdan's sharpshooters, and a main unit and some cavalry guys that get into it with the rest of the Confederates, not Longstreet's guys, but mm -hmm. they're coming down and moving into position, and Longstreet's going to move in next to them. And those guys, the very tail end of those guys, right next to where McClaws is supposed to go, that's the guys he's supposed to be standing next to, they're getting into this big scrap yeah. with the sharpshooters, a couple of cavalrymen, and uh, the third main infantry. And so there's a... a these, and most of the guys mentioned it. They call it a sharp firefight over and over again, mm -hmm. and on various parts of the line. And so that's happening right in front of them. Yeah. So they get to this rise, and if my chronology is correct, which I hope it is, I think it is, but it's open to debate. <laughs> um, you know, it, then that's happening right before McClaws crests that ridge where he's supposed to be seen. So I think that that will stop you in your tracks. And from that point, I think he takes binoculars out and he's looking up. And I got a signal flag, uh, a signal station up there. Yeah. I can't go this way anymore. Where do I have to go? Right. So then he goes for help. And then it goes from there and they they, they decide, well, we can't go this way. We've got a counter march. Why don't you go the way that the other guys went? Yeah. And that way he'll get you into position without being seen. You don't have to cross this open field where not only will these guys see you, but the signal guys will see you. And so let's counter march. The people they ask for help are people that are accusing them after the war of losing the battle. So you can't really admit that you stopped and you went and you asked these other guys for help. They're part of the Lee crowd at that point. Right. So when you're telling the story again, you can't include that part. You got to have something else up. For three days in July 1863, Union and Confederate forces clashed in the largest and bloodiest battle of the Civil War. Casualties have been estimated at more than 51,000. As devastating as those numbers were, only one civilian was killed as a direct result of the fighting. Jenny Wade, a brave, kind-hearted young woman who had the misfortune of being in the wrong place at the wrong time. A few days before the Battle of Gettysburg began, as a vanguard of Confederate troops rattled through the town, helping themselves to supplies. Jenny's sister, Georgiana Wade McClellan, gave birth to her first child. Jenny went to the McClellan house five blocks away on Baltimore Street to help her sister and her newborn. Although townsfolk were frightened, they thought the armies would pass them by. On the morning of July 3rd, Jenny was in the pantry of the McClellan house kneading dough to make bread for Union soldiers when a single bullet passed through two doors, penetrating her heart. She died instantly. 
one of the things I get into, uh, it, it's kind of the underlying theme is just the, the human psychology and memory is specifically. Right. And that's really important because we talk a lot about national memory yeah. when we talk about historiography yeah. and how we remember things like Gettysburg. Like we said at the beginning, all we have are the stories, these guys, the memories, these guys wrote down. Right. So if you don't have, if you don't know how memory will and I didn't when I started this, and I'm not a psychologist, I'm not a scientist, but I'm trained to research how you perceive things at the time gets stored into your memory. Yep. And then you have to recall the memory. And there's a lot of intervening factors uh, between storing the memory and pulling it back out from storage. And all of those things are most of the negative factors are going on when they're trying to recall these memories. Yep. So one, you have poor perception to begin with, you're in a battlefield scenario. So you're not, you're, you're very focused one of the reasons why if you take a, like a GoPro and yeah. you look at it or you you have one of these, uh, you know, Saving Private Ryan type where your head's moving all around like that on a daily basis and you're not generally getting dizzy when you walk and you're not bouncing around. And it's because your brain is is regulating that yeah, almost like a steady cam. And it's also picking apart like what you said. Oh, I thought it was a bird. I didn't see the guy. Uh, your brain is inputting things and, and processing things. It's not processing every single thing yeah yeah it's leaving a lot of this stuff out right and so when right. you look at it back on a gopro your brain is now seeing everything because you're not the one engaged in it so your your brain is just watching like on a tv yeah. but when you're engaged in it your brain is filtering out what's important based on what's been important in the past that's exactly right you're missing a lot in the military they call it like situational awareness yeah and even the situational awareness trained person is missing things they're just trained yeah. to focus on certain things so things that right. are happening outside of that uh training and the rewiring of the brain which is really what that training is yep are missing other things so i do a you know a quick overview of uh, just some memory things to to say that when you know i bring up things later on in the book that i'm not lying you know or just trying to make it sound and fit right but people conflate things yeah. and your brain is basically is not a compartmentalized like a uh you know, we're both old enough for the uh, the the card catalogs. You know, in the libraries mm -hmm. and the schools, it's not a card catalog where you're just pulling things that are very well organized. Mm -hmm. Your brain is basically a slush fund. You know, it's, uh, and it's everything goes in, and then somebody else's memory goes in, and you're talking to a war buddy, and that memory goes in, and then people are reporting stuff on the news, and that goes in, and all of a sudden you go to pull this memory out, and all this other stuff is stuck to That's it, right. almost like uh, those fly those fly, fly paper, traps, yeah. you know, yeah. and it's it's going to catch stuff, and it's, yeah. I didn't mean to catch all of this, but this is my memory with all this other stuff right, on it, right. and you think it's yours, and it's actually not, and you can actually see it. one of the most uh, well-respected uh, contemporaries is Edward Porter Alexander, mm -hmm. and he comes into, he, he's one of the bigger ones for the countermarch stuff. He has nothing to do with the reconnaissance but the countermarch stuff he's a big uh one of the major accounts on it well he wasn't part of the countermarch and but what he was was he was tapped by longstreet after right after the war to write a history of the first corps mm -hmm. and so he is reaching out to hundreds of participants and he has all of these other accounts that are essentially tainting his account yeah. And so his first person account, when you start to piece them all together, you realize, well, this one, you know, this one reconnaissance he says he does 
is actually three done over the course of three hours, but he says he goes on a three hour reconnaissance. Ah. And so, so they conflate all of these things. Yeah. And I mean, I just, I, I like to tell people, you know, if you're in front of like a live audience or something and saying, okay, well, you know, tell me, you know, tell me about your weekend last weekend. <laughs> and when you start to think about your own chronology, <laughs> the chronology of events, you say, well, did that happen? <laughs> yeah. for, or did I do then? And you're not thinking about it. Do that with uh, a friend or your wife and try to recall yeah. the same weekend. And then do it 15 years from now. Oh, forget it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, uh, yeah. 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 I mean, they've done stuff with 9 11, you know, stuff that oh, we can relate to. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and people have this tendency to think, well, it was Gettysburg. It's the biggest battle of the war. It's a battle. Yeah. It's important. You're going to remember it. Right. Well, they've said you actually probably have less ability to accurately remember important things because so many other people are talking about it yeah and also if you're caught up in the trauma and, and the traumatic events do have uh, you know for various reasons and various events have you know um you know you can go to the re rep repressed memory route you can say well you're not perceiving things accurately because of the panic level there's a, a a lot of reasons and a lot of different views on why people don't remember traumatic events and certainly a battle is yeah. this oh my god we have the we have the benefit of knowing that well this wasn't so much you know uh uh this was kind of leading up to the battle so it's a little bit calmer yeah but it's still there's anxiety there's there's a lot of things going in there's sleep deprivation yeah and then everything's happening at once yeah. right and uh and what's interesting to me is when you're studying this stuff and you, if you focus on the time aspect of a little you know couple page segment on time and how they you know uh and one of the things that's interesting to me is looking you know looking through that was almost all of the participants will mention something about well i didn't have a watch i don't really remember what time it was i think that it, remembering the sun it was about halfway in the sky and even johnston that's one of the big things about what time he went out there and johnston will say in his first uh letters where he gets the time kind of down and where we come up with a time and then on later accounts he goes back to his first and says oh well that was the time i went out but he says he doesn't mention the time at all he does yeah. it early in the morning so then the person reading him the letter says well what time did you go out specifically he says i don't remember you know and uh i'm paraphrasing obviously but he's i, I don't i don't know it was yeah i'd have a watch I, and even if i did i wasn't checking it and things you know the anxiety and the point it was it, it's like it was about dawn i don't know let's call it 4 30 yeah and so 4 30 became the time right but he, he's hesitant to give a time at all so uh, so you have that. So that input, first off, which are the reasons we talked about trauma and anxiety and sleep deprivation, your 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 perception, your storage to begin with, you're not storing a pristine, right. you know, perfect image to begin with. Yeah. And then you have all of the the things to taint the image. Yeah. And then you pull it back out and then you put it back in. And when you put it back in, you're putting it back in as a memory you're remembering the memory, right. how you told it. Right. And so you pull it out enough times and it becomes, you know, yeah. the, the memory of what you said, of what you said, that's how you get the fishes bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. that telephone game. And so you have all of that going on. And so you have to be careful about it. And, and none of this is to say that, that anybody's lying. Cause I don't think most people are. Yeah. No, uh, they just remember it differently. Yeah. And, and they will all, we, we have some, some, you know, quotes that you see over and over and over again in these things. And if you go back and you expand the quotes, most of them have some of those, uh, 
uh, modifying language in there that, mm-hmm. uh, well, to the best of my recollection, I don't really remember, right. uh, you know, it's, it's tough to say, yeah. but you know, they're not, you know, so one of the things I liked it for the, the history, you know, nerds, fellow history nerds out there that, uh, I, I tried to go in and I would say most, I'm sure not all of, but most of the quotes I've put in the end notes in in a little bit more full version so yeah. you can see so a lot of these things are kind of obscure uh a, a lot of civil war researchers will have a lot of these sources you'll be able to find them a lot of them you can find online mm-hmm. archive.org mm-hmm. a great source mm-hmm. um but some of them are pretty obscure um and a lot of them you'll have to, you got to go to a library to get you got to you got to order you know a lot of these uh university libraries they'll just They'll email you a high definition scan. Some of them will still mail them to you. Wow. But that's tight. And then you got to transcribe them. So they're not always that easy to go find. So I tried to give an expansive without quoting the whole thing. Yeah. And, you know, you have copyright stuff, but yeah. to, to give a, at least a little bit more context of just the quote and say, well, you know, um, dad, just trust me. I wrote the book. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, that, that's the last thing I wanted to say, because yeah, that was yeah. kind of what sparked the whole thing. Like we said in that's the beginning right. with was, right. you know, they said yeah. this thing and it wasn't really that. And yeah. the other thing too, I, I put in there was each citation is pretty much its own citation. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of paragraph size. Yeah. You know, I mean, I have a lot of paragraphs in the notes that, you know, that's kind of, it's no, no, but you pair it down. Book, but yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, you know, where each source came from. And yeah. there could be a few, a few points that they're just made over and over and over. And to kind of emphasize the fact that everybody was saying this, yeah. I'll give you, you know, all of the sites are kind of laid out there, but, yeah. um, yeah. you know, you won't get one of these. Well, let me, let me go and get 15 different sources to figure out which one of that string citation is the one I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. I wanted you people to be able to do their own research to continue it if they wanted to no, as well. Great. And it's great to kind of keep a second guess or, you know, if they wanted to or what have you, but. Well, the bigger irony for somebody like me who doesn't, you know, hasn't researched this history at all, really just, you know, read histories is that all the focus was put on the Western, the delays on the West, the East is, was, was sort of ignored, Right. And they were delayed too. Yeah. And it was, this is supposed to happen simultaneously. That was the whole point of the strategy in the first place. Yeah. So they couldn't patch holes. They couldn't move people around. Right. And that's one of the big, another big controversy. Again, a little bit outside of the scope of what, you know, part of something I'm working on at the moment. I don't know, no timelines, no contracts, nothing, just kind of a, uh, without the the pressure of having to produce something immediately which i don't think leads to you know or not that it can't lead to something but i think it it hinders it a little bit you can't explore it as much but um but that's definitely and and to me even more important is that delay on the north yeah the night before that miscommunication again i don't like to point blame at people i try to explain why i think things happen but i think everybody's trying to do the best they can and you know things happen but the the delay in getting the troops onto Culp's Hill on July first, yeah. whatever the reason was, that was a big thing. The delay itself is the cause of all of the stuff that happens on July second. And if you don't have that, then there is no July second. Yeah, because Lee almost assumed that they had taken Culp's Hill. Right, and it's four o'clock in the morning when he finds out they didn't, and now it's too late to move anybody around. Yeah, and that spawn that that sparks all of the action that we talk about in the book. Yeah, 
is because he, you know, uh, John Sin, no T, uh, is a division commander in uh, uh, Ewell's uh, Second Corps, and he uh, he's not in position. There's a lot of reasons for that. Part of it is just, again, its own delays with terrain and darkness and, you know, the maneuvering places on time and, and getting places in the dark and trying to find the right spot and other parts of it are probably some miscommunication and what the expectations of him were to be. Yeah. I, I think he probably thought that he was supposed to be in position to take Culp's Hill in the morning when really he was supposed to be on Culp's Hill in the, <laughs> yeah. at night. And so yeah. I think there's a little bit, whether he justifiably misunderstood that or not, that's right. uh, other people can debate that. Yeah. Uh, but that is the cause of that delay and not being there uh, when Lee thought they would be there is what caused all of the things that happened on July 2nd, yeah. which then leads to its own accusations of delay, obviously. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so again, I think if you had to describe Gettysburg in one word, if on the Confederate side, anyways, I think it'd be entropy. Yeah. You know, just things will devolve into chaos when left to themselves. Yeah. And it takes an awful lot of effort and an awful lot of luck to have everything just end up exactly the way it's supposed to be. Yeah. And you know, more times than not, things are not going to end up the way you plan them yeah. and things just fall down. So we, we, you know, um, so I think that's how I explain it. And it's just, it's not one person's fault, but we're humans yeah. and that's how our brain, our brain works. Yeah. And we like stories in that day and age i mean less so than today or or more so than today more so yeah yeah the the bible is your source of of narrative your stories that's where your connection is yeah. that's you know and so so i don't think it's any it's it, to me it, it shouldn't be a huge mystery why they it ends up that way but we perceive things in stories and narratives and that's how we like to remember things yeah that's how I got into the history of again. I saw yeah. the movies and I said, this is cool. <laughs> yeah. And I want to know more about it, yeah. but I wouldn't have just picked up a history book and said, Oh, let me, let me figure this out. It's right. there's a story. That's why we write narratives. That's, and right. that's why stories are good. Yeah. Um, you know, and so, uh, uh, but, but that's how it ends up yeah. happening is you have delay and delay and delay and delay. And yeah. then you got to find a reason for it, but life doesn't unfold in a narrative. We put it back together in a narrative. That's, that's and so key. I tried to kind that's of, that's the key, you know, yeah take that you know we try to remove the fog of war to tell a story and uh, i was trying to put the fog of war back in yeah to see what they would have thought and seen and been able and why did they make the decisions you don't know the why yeah until you put that fog of war back in no i think you did a great job really great job i i, I really uh really enjoyed it well, I, I really appreciate that like i said it's it's intimidating to to jump into this I, uh, I would especially such a controversial <laughs> uh aspect yeah. of it yeah uh, so uh you know, so and anything nice anybody wants to say, I'll graciously accept, but I really do appreciate it. This is great. Is there anything else you want to add? No, as far as, I mean, you could ask my wife. I'll talk about this all night if you yeah. want. <laughs> <laughs> but I know we won't. But uh, yeah. uh, no, so I guess the only thing I would say is, um, you know, I just encourage people to continue to, to research it. I mean, yeah. it's, uh, I would like to think it's the final say. And people have been kind enough to to use words like definitive, but right. it's, it's, um, you know that's a great it's 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 an ongoing of course uh discussion and you know it's i i enjoy talking about it yeah. so uh um you know anybody that wants to to email me is welcome to yeah you have a great quote here right in the beginning uh by peter abelard who was a yes. philosopher i think from like the 12th century or something like that yeah yeah a monk yeah he says by doubting we are led to question 
by questioning, we arrive at the truth. Exactly. So let's just keep questioning. As for the reasons the Confederates were defeated at Gettysburg, Alan R. Thompson concludes that it wasn't the delay in General Longstreet's attack on the July 2nd, as many have said. Instead, a thorough comparison of eyewitness accounts points to a lack of Confederate numbers and cooperation. General Lee himself maintained that the lack of simultaneous attack on the Union line was a primary reason for the Confederate loss. Because the Confederate attack was piecemeal, the Union Army was able to pull troops from other positions in their line to plug holes. And Alan Thompson points out that the argument that says if General Longstreet had attacked earlier on July 2nd, the Confederates would have prevailed is irrelevant because he was not supposed to, because General Lee hadn't decided when or where the attack would be made until it was too late to launch a morning assault. We thank Alan R. Thompson for comparing veterans' memories and sifting through the factors that affected them to bring the history of the important Battle of Gettysburg into sharper focus. For this and his important new book, In the Shadow of the Round Tops, we honor him as today's hero behind the headlines. Heroes Behind Headlines. Executive producer, Ralph Fazzullo. Produced and engineered by Mike Dawson. Music provided by Extreme Music. For exclusive content, please join our Patreon group at patreon.com slash heroes behind headlines.